There is a movie made in 1984 that has absolutely stood the test of time. It's a story of growth and triumph and overcoming challenges. It has great music and has had several sequels and adaptations come after the original. And in the movie, there is a wonderful example of a mentoring relationship. Now, we'll talk in a little bit about some examples of biblical mentoring relationships, but I want you to be able to have something to relate to and to picture in your brain as we talk this morning. So think about this. Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you A, are probably much younger than I am, and B, you have some homework because you should go watch The Karate Kid. It's a classic. And if you see Quentin Bemis, make sure and tell him to watch it because he hasn't seen it yet. So... In this movie, we have a great example of a mentoring relationship, and I'm hoping you're starting to picture Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son together. In the beginning of the movie, Daniel is being bullied by classmates, and so Mr. Miyagi is the neighbor, and he decides to teach Daniel karate so that he can defend himself. But this training, this karate training, ends up being much more than just karate. Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel so many wonderful life lessons using these philosophical one-liners, such as, first learn stand, then learn fly. Mr. Miyagi becomes much more than just a teacher to Daniel. He is a mentor. There are many ways to define a mentor, and the dictionary will tell us that a mentor is an experienced or trusted advisor. Another way to define a mentor is someone who has been there, done that. Or as my friend Nick said when we were studying together about this, a mentor is someone who is one chapter ahead. Now, if you're reading through with the Core 52 book, you're going to see at the beginning of this week's essay, the author Mark Moore starts out by saying that the word mentor or mentoring is never used in the Bible. And it can be a little bit confusing because if we say, well, God's word is truth, but he doesn't talk about mentoring, then... Why is mentoring important? But there's another word, and the word is meno. It's a Greek term, and it means to abide, attach, or remain. And when it's used in a certain context, it actually means enduring relationship. This term of enduring relationship is used 118 times in the New Testament and 33 times in the Gospel of John alone. 118 times. I mean, with that number, it's pretty clear that mentoring is both biblical and important. Rich spiritual mentoring is not our idea. It was and it is God's plan for us. Spiritual mentoring is not our idea. It is God's plan. All throughout scripture, we see these mentoring relationships between people, and it helps each of them grow in their faith. We see it between Jesus and his disciple John, who is referred to in the Bible as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We see it with Eli and Samuel in the Old Testament. We see it with Naomi and Ruth, where Naomi was not just a mother-in-law, but a trusted friend. We see it multiple times with Paul, first being mentored by Barnabas, and then mentoring Titus and Timothy. Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, follow my example while I follow the example of Christ. Paul is a mentor to others, and in this verse, inviting others into that. So we do have many 
biblical examples of mentoring. And mentoring is important for lots and lots of reasons, and my brain works well with numbers sometimes, um, not when I'm trying to help my children with math. But in this, um, this instance, statistics really were helpful for me. So I'm going to share just a few statistics, and these were gathered from both personal and professional mentoring settings. 87% of mentors and mentees say that their mentoring relationships make them feel empowered and assist them to develop a more prominent sense of confidence in themselves. So 87% of people in these, in these relationships feel empowered and have more confidence. 97% of individuals with a mentor feel that they are highly impactful and valuable. And 89% of individuals mentored will mentor someone in the future. But for us today, the reason we're talking about mentoring is because it brings people to Jesus. This rich spiritual mentoring brings people to Jesus. According to a study done by the National Network of Youth Ministry, nine out of every 10 young people who begin a relationship with Christ would say that the biggest factor in their decision was because of a one-on-one -on -one relationship with someone in their life. Nine out of 10. So 90% of people coming to Jesus say it's because of a mentor in their life. Now, on the other hand, out of 115 students that were surveyed at the same time through the same study, almost 40% of these kids said that they had no person ahead of them to look to. They had no positive adult relationship in their life. So these statistics show us that mentoring relationships are important. They're very impactful, but they are desperately needed. I know that relationships can be hard. It can feel overwhelming to think about jumping into a deep relationship or friendship with someone. But hear this. Secondary to Jesus, relationships are the greatest gift we have on earth. Secondary to Jesus, relationships are the greatest gift we have. And then when we mentor others, we're pointing people to the greatest gift we do have, which is Jesus. Now, as I mentioned earlier, when we think about relationships and mentoring, Paul quickly comes to mind. He's a man that sets an example of mentoring in many different ways in the Bible. Our core 52 verse this week comes from 2 Timothy. Now, Timothy and Paul were missionaries together, and now Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, or I should say a second letter in this case is writing a letter to Timothy. Paul is a good enough mentor that he can mentor from prison. I mean, that's pretty good. And in this verse, it's uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2. This is what he says. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I'm going to read that again. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Wow, there's a lot there. I'm going to read from another translation that really helps me process. This one says, And all that you have learned from me, confirmed by the integrity of my life, deposit into faithful leaders who are competent to teach the congregations the same revelation. In this verse, Paul is telling Timothy to take the things that he has seen Paul do and to take the things that he has heard Paul say and share them. Timothy can trust Paul because of the integrity of his life. Paul pursues Jesus daily. He is a man that can be trusted. And so Paul is telling him, take these things that I've shared with you and then share them with others. Do you see what he's saying? 
He's saying, I've mentored you. I have been there, done that. Now take what you've learned and take your been there, done that and share it with someone else. And then those will share it with someone else. It is discipleship in its simplest form. We have another wonderful example of a mentoring relationship in the Bible in the book of Ruth. And I love the book of Ruth. In this story, Naomi and Ruth, it's a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and Naomi takes on an active role as a mentor to her daughter-in-law. So Naomi was a Judean, all right, and she was living in the foreign land of Moab, and her husband and two sons died. So at this point, Naomi was left with two daughters-in-law, and Naomi chose to go back to her homeland, and one daughter-in-law, Ruth, wanted to go with her. Now, at this point, both women, they were heartbroken, they were penniless, they had probably quite literally nothing after these men had died. However, Naomi continues to be a good mentor and a counselor to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. I'm going to jump in here at chapter 1, verses 14 through 18 in the book of Ruth. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah, who is the other daughter-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, obviously, Ruth understands that Naomi can be a good teacher to her, and she doesn't want to leave her to go back to her own people. Instead, she went to a land where she knew no one and a land where she had nothing, but she did have a mentor. She did have someone that she trusted in her mother-in-law. This is the beginning of a very strong mentoring relationship. Now, like I said, when they, they had nothing when they returned to the homeland, returned to Naomi's homeland. So Naomi told Ruth to go out into the fields and to pick up any leftover grain that was left behind because they needed something in order to survive. Naomi was guiding and advising Ruth in a way to provide for the two women that didn't break the law, um, but they didn't have anything, so they were trying to figure all that out. She was setting a good example, even when things felt scary. Naomi was guiding Ruth to make good decisions and make the best of a hard situation. We're going to jump here to chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, spoke to her. She said, My daughter, I must find a home for you. It should be a place where you will be provided for. You have been working with the women who work for Boaz. He's a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be separating the straw from his barley on the threshing floor. So wash yourself, put on some perfume and your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz know you are there. Wait until he has finished eating and drinking. Notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet. Lie down there. He'll tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth answered. Wow. I'll do everything you say. Now, in these verses, we can continue to see how Naomi was a good mentor. She was guiding. She was helping Ruth. She wanted to set her up well for the future. But we can also see how Ruth was willing. She was longing to be mentored. She shows that when you have a good mentor, you can trust them to love you 
and care for you. Not once did Ruth question what Naomi was telling, what her to, was telling her to do. She said, I'll do everything you say. She did not question her mentor. While they probably didn't know what was to come in the future, they are an example of this enduring relationship and just how powerful it can be. So we see these examples of mentoring in the Bible, and this is just two that we've talked about today. There are so many examples of mentoring in the Bible, but whenever we are in Scripture, we have to think about personal application because God's Word is alive. It calls us to action. It calls us into kingdom work. So we have to think, how does this fit into our lives? We hear Paul telling Timothy what he's learned from being, being mentored and says, go mentor others. So how do we do the same? If you're reading along in the Core 52 book, you will see that in this chapter, Mark Moore will give some great tips on how to be a mentor or on how to ask someone to be a mentor for you. It's really great information. I'm going to give some parallel ideas today, and those come from my personal experience in the sense that I have, I'm so thankful that I've had so many wonderful mentors in my life, and I've also been able to mentor many other young women But this also comes from watching our women's mentoring relationships here at Sherwood Oaks and seeing these women um, enjoy and learn in that enduring relationship that they are part of. So if you're someone sitting out here and thinking, I want to mentor in my life, I want to be a Timothy to Paul or a Naomi to Ruth, then listen up. The first thing is to examine your life. In what realm do you possibly already have a mentor. Within your circles or your spheres of influence, you might have someone that you know would be a good mentor. And sometimes you just need to reach out to them. Tell them you admire them, you look up to them and and their place in life and that you would like to learn from them. Now, you don't have to say, will you be my mentor? That might be scary. But you can say, hey, I admire where you're at. Can you walk me through some things? The second thing is to be authentic and ask questions. When you get time with someone who has been there, done that, ask them questions. And I mean good, deep questions. Most people love the opportunity to share. However, we're always told to not give unsolicited advice, right? So this is where it meets in the middle. Ask someone. Learn from them. The last thing, though, is the most important. You have to be willing If you want someone to mentor you, then you need to be willing and you need to be vulnerable because you're going to ask someone those questions, but you also have to be willing to hear feedback. You have to be willing to hear correction. You have to be willing to be held accountable in your life. You have to be real and intentional and willing to make make the most of the opportunity. Now, a few tips for those of you who think, oh, I'm in a good spot to be a mentor. I've been there, done that. I want to be a mentor. We'll talk about some logistics in a minute, but there is one non-negotiable attribute that a mentor has to have. A mentor needs to be on a personal walk with Jesus. You don't have to know all the scripture. You don't have to be able to answer all the Bible questions, but you do have to be pursuing Jesus daily. It goes back to what Paul said in 2 Timothy about living a life of integrity. When you're pursuing Jesus daily, you are living a life of integrity. So that is a non-negotiable attribute that a mentor must have. From a logistical standpoint, a mentor has very similar tips to allow God to use you to mentor others. The first one, examine your life. Do you already have a relationship or know someone in your life that is a chapter behind you that you think, oh, I feel like they could use maybe some extra guidance or support or just an ear to listen or some encouragement? 
Tell him you care about him and tell him you want to be intentional about some time together. So examine your life. The second one is be authentic and ask questions. Do you see where we're going here? You have to ask open-ended questions so that you can listen not to respond, but to understand and get to know their story. So in turn, you can also share your story. You also have to be authentic. A mentor has to be open and transparent because when we are teaching from a space of been there, done that, we're often teaching from a space of, oh, I made this mistake. I would encourage you not to do it that way. So you have to be willing to be transparent and authentic. And lastly, and again, most importantly, you have to be willing. Great mentors are willing and they are present. Mentors are willing to share their time, to share their stories, to share their families, to share their heart. Be willing to be who you are and share what you know. And be willing to let others see how you think and act and live and pray and serve. Now, I'm giving you a lot of what you have to do if you think, oh, I can be a mentor. I want to take some things off your list, which is always good to hear. I want to tell you some things you don't have to do or absolutely probably shouldn't do um, to be a mentor. A mentor is not a parent or a babysitter. A mentor is not a professional counselor. A mentor is not going to tell others what to do. This is where we can guide from our mistakes, but we also are there if the bottom falls out, if they make a different decision than we would have made. So we're not going to tell others what to do. And a mentor is not going to be a mentor just to fill a void in their life. Being a mentor is not about you and it's not about your abilities. It's about making your life and all that you have learned through the years available to someone who is a chapter or more behind you so that they might benefit and grow in their faith. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about sharing what we've been through so that others can grow in their faith. Now, I want to give you a perfect opportunity to put some of this into action, and Sean touched on it a little bit, and we saw some of the video. As part of my role here at Sherwood Oaks, I help with some groups, and I help with our mentoring program. And I'll tell you that we have a large number of people that are looking to be led or mentored, and we don't have people to lead and to mentor. I have young women send me emails and fill out applications all the time for the mentoring program. They're absolutely craving someone to guide them and love them and walk with them. And I have to respond and say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait. We have people every week come in and ask about joining a small group, finding a place to dive deep into relationships and to know God more. And we have to say, I'm sorry, we don't have any groups right now. Our groups are full. The ones that are active, they're full and they, they can't take any more people. As a church family, we have a gaping hole in our body. We have people that are longing to be led and longing to know Jesus more and to connect and grow in relationships, and we don't have a place to put them. But here's the good news, because two weeks from today in the evening is that leader gathering. If you are currently leading in a small group, we want to have you there to encourage you and love on you and thank you. But also it's for anyone that thinks, oh, maybe I'm ready to lead. Or if you think, oh, Maybe I'm ready to be a mentor. Because leading a group and leading or being a mentor are very, very similar situations. There just might be a small handful of people more in a group than it is in the one-on-one relationship. They are both so incredibly valuable and needed. And to be honest, after hearing today what it takes to be a mentor, it takes to lead, I hope a lot of you will come to that and say, I'm ready to lead. 
Because God can use each of us and our story as long as we are willing to be used. As long as you are pursuing Jesus and you can be authentic and you can be willing, God can use you. As I was studying for today, I came across several great quotes about mentoring. And as you read these, I want you to think through these in the lens of, I want to be that for someone else. John Crosby said, Mentoring is a brain to pick, an ear to listen, and a push in the right direction. J. Lauren Norris said, if you cannot see where you're going, ask someone who has been there before. Winston Churchill said, our chief want in life is somebody who will make us do what we can. And this famous quote from Maya Angelou. People will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. I want to be that for someone else, and I want someone else to be that for me. I want someone else to give me a push in the right direction, to be a listening ear, to encourage me, and I want to be that same for someone else. This mentoring relationship is something that we will always need, yet we can always offer, because there's always going to be someone a chapter ahead of us, and there's always going to be people a chapter behind us. A few, years, a few years ago, I went to lunch with a sweet friend, and now when I talk about someone who pursues Jesus daily, this friend embodies that. She is just such a godly woman. She's kind, and she's nurturing, and she's patient, and she's thoughtful. She's a wonderful mother. She's the type of woman that I say I want to, like, rub shoulders with so that maybe some of her goodness, you know, will come onto me because she's just amazing. We were sitting at lunch one day, and she said to me, Maggie, I, I need some advice. She said, a young woman has asked me to be her mentor, and I don't know how to do that. Now, I can't really remember my exact response, but I think it had to do with something along the lines of, are you kidding me? Because this woman was a mentor to so many people, and she didn't even know it. And I think it's because she was overcomplicating it. This friend had already found someone in her life, or actually in this case, someone in her life had found her to be a mentor. So all she needed to do from there was be authentic, ask questions, be willing to share her life, be intentional with her time to grow the relationship. She was already a mentor in many ways. If we go back to the definition of mentor, we shared earlier when we said a mentor is someone who is one chapter ahead in life. She was there. One chapter ahead. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have read the book a thousand times and have it memorized. It's just simply one chapter ahead. God can use you to be a mentor, and we can give you specific tools if you need them. If that makes you feel better, we can do that for you. Or you can just follow the biblical example that Jesus set for us. Jesus was by far the only perfect mentor in the Bible. He presented this perfect example that we can all learn from, and by doing this, Jesus made it clear just how important mentoring is, because it's what he spent the vast majority of his time on earth doing. He constantly led, he constantly taught, questioned, encouraged, supported, and corrected so that the disciples would be ready to serve as mentors after him. But maybe as you listen today, you feel like life is falling apart around you. And there are days that just feel really hard. There are people in your life that have been there, done that. They may not be the exact story, but I promise they've been through some stuff. 
Imagine being able to connect with a person, a person who's not going to fix your problems or give you the answers, but a person who's going to help you carry your burdens, a person that will encourage and support you. We see that in Ruth and Naomi's relationship, and we want you to find that too. I promise that if you let God use you either as a mentor or to be mentored, this kind of enduring relationship, this mano, will be life-giving and faith-growing for both of you. It takes courage to be a mentor. And it takes courage to be willing to ask someone to abide with you and walk alongside you. If you have questions about this or are ready to take a next step in a mentoring relationship, let me know. I'll be right down here after service. And if you're ready to make a decision not to follow Jesus only as your mentor, but also as the savior of your life, we're ready to help with that too. Because while we want everyone to experience enduring relationships with people, your enduring relationship with Jesus is always the priority. You can only first learn stand, then learn fly with Jesus as your true mentor. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are just so incredibly thankful for Jesus and the example that he sets for us. God, I pray that we would feel challenged to follow the example of Jesus, to commit to these endearing relationships, no matter how messy or hard they can be, because God, you love us despite our mess, despite how hard we can be. And I know we can do that for others. So God, I pray that you would put people in front of us this week that we could pour into or that we could invite to pour into us so that we can continue to grow your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.